Greetings and welcome to the First Timothy Sermon Series here at Good Shepherd OPC, a mission work of Cornerstone here in Houston. My name is Miller Ansel, the church planning intern who delivers these sermons on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Please check out our website at gsopc.org for more information on our evening worship as well as our midweek Bible study. And here is this week's sermon. Remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. might seem like an unusual hymn to sing, although I thought with our passage it was fitting that uh, God speaks and man listens, and we don't listen to the culture around us and what they think truth ought to be. Rather, we listen to God's word, and we long for those in our culture uh, to bow down and worship the true God that we worship as well. Uh, so we listen to God speak now. He no longer holds his peace. First uh, Timothy 2. Uh, sermon is on 11 through 15, but I'll start in verse 8. This is the inspired and errant word of God. Please give it your full attention as it is read. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through the childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. O God, who dwells in your holy temple, high and lifted up, but who also dwells with the humble and the contrite, grant us that we may have a profound sense of your glory and of your presence. May knowledge of you captivate our minds and our hearts. May we have um, an all-pervasive sense that you are Lord God Almighty. Grant us your presence in your sanctuary now as we are gathered together. Lord, give us an experience of your inestimable grace. Now may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week... I reminded us that entering chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, we're seeing what the church ought to look like, how the church ought to behave. So we are seeing the order that God has set forth for the church. We also saw some common failings last week of people. We saw that men are to pray without anger. We saw that uh, women are to dress not immodestly, but with good works. And now in verses 11 through 15, Paul continues to instruct the church as to the place of women. He tells us women are to be silent. 
Well, what does that mean? He says that means women are not to preach or to teach or to exercise spiritual authority over men. Well, why not? He gives two reasons. The order of creation and that the woman, Eve, was deceived. And then knowing that this teaching might lead women to feeling helpless and hopeless, he gives them uh, hope. He encourages them in verse 15 that salvation is still for women through the childbearing. This is a teaching that garners a lot of condemnation in our culture, Uh, even in the church from so-called Christian feminists that tend to be more feminist than Christian. Uh, They want to make the text very difficult to understand. I read their arguments this week. Uh, They try to make it as uh, opaque as possible. But the fact is, verses 11 through 14 are very easy to understand. They're just not easy to accept. Meanwhile, verse 15 is kind of hard to understand, but it's actually very easy uh, to accept. But like with all scripture, the question is not, will I accept the teaching of God's word? The question is, will I obey the teaching of God's word? There is, of course, one matter that we should address as we get started here, and that is uh, the issue that men and women are equal creatures. They're just not identical creatures. Men and women are equally in the image of God. There's nothing inherent in men that makes them superior and women inferior. Christian men and women are equally children of God as well. 1 Peter 3, 7 reminds husbands that their wives are co-heirs of grace and are not to be looked down upon. Instead, 1 Peter says they are to be honored. We see it in Galatians 3.28, where Paul's explicitly addressing Jews and Gentiles um, when it comes to salvation, that we are all equal. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, men and women. They are all equal. They have all become one in Christ. So we affirm men and women are equal. They're just not identical. They have different roles. They have different functions. Verse 11 gets us started. One of those functions, it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Might not expect it, but right off the bat, we should actually be really impressed with what Paul says here. Uh, First century Jewish rabbinical teaching was that a woman should never learn. You don't teach the women. How dare you teach a woman the Torah? And Paul's saying, no, the women are disciples of Christ. They need to learn. They need to know the scriptures. That's the Christian teaching. I mean, they're not to learn in order to teach, but women need to learn because they're God's children. So there is something really impressive about verse 11, actually. Um, More scrutinized part of the verse is the silence and the submission. If a woman is to be quiet or remain silent in the worship service, Does that mean she can never open her mouth? She's supposed to just sit there with her mouth clamped shut the whole time? Uh, No. Remaining quiet does not mean keeping her mouth uh, closed the entirety of the service. Uh, First, we can note the the great gulf between uh, a woman opening her mouth in the service to speak as an authority over the men 
versus her singing or responsibly reading or confessing the faith as a member of the congregation. Secondly, all we have to do is look at our call to worship from this morning or this evening um, at the start of the service to see our Lord didn't just call elders to worship. He didn't call just the men to come worship. Our call to worship said, said ascribe to the Lord, O families, that includes women, um, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth, men and women, uh, young and old, everybody is to come before him and worship. These commands are even, they're commands, they're imperatives. Um, it's not an option. In fact, uh, all people, men and women, need to sing in the worship service. The thing that God is forbidding in our text is a woman speaking authoritatively, not forbidding her from singing as part of the congregation. She is also to remain quiet with all submissiveness. Now, the idea of Christian submission uh, it's not that of a tyrant forcing compliance upon an unwilling person, upon somebody who is weaker. Christian submission is a voluntary and willing compliance. In fact, really, all church members in the OPC do this. Our fifth vow, our fifth vow, when we become members, we say that we will submit to the church's government. We willingly, voluntarily comply and submit to our elders. Of course, what Paul has in mind is specifically that women are not to be rulers in the church, but submitters of the church. He fills that out in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We must first notice that when Paul writes, I do not permit, he's not giving a personal subjective rule um, for him. Rather, he is speaking as an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was commissioned by the risen Lord himself and given that authority in Christ's name. This isn't just Paul's mere opinion. It's the word of God coming through Paul as an apostle. Well, okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, a woman cannot teach. Um, never? In any capacity? Uh, absolutely not. In fact, it's good that Christian women teach, not as an authoritative voice in the church over men. Instead, women are to teach other women. We see this in Titus 2, 3 through 5, where older women are commanded to teach the younger women. We need more of that in our churches today. Women may also teach children. 2 Timothy 1, 5 and 3, 14 through 15, where Timothy's own mother, Lois, taught him the scriptures. So Paul's statement is not to be taken as a complete bar against women ever teaching uh, anywhere and everywhere, but it's only in the church authoritatively over men. Now this is the plain reading of the text. It's easy to understand. Yet many claim they will not accept it. Surely Paul couldn't have meant that. So they start to come up with excuses. Um, probably the most popular one, uh, this was Paul's opinion, or the related, this was merely cultural, uh, which at base is to say that 1 Timothy 2.12 is not the word of God. 
Yet we do not get to stand over God's word as its judge, choosing the portions we like. If we begin down that road, uh, it only ends in destruction. We couldn't even know if salvation is really by grace through faith if the scriptures are relative and cultural and full of opinions. All knowledge would be decimated, especially the most important knowledge of Jesus Christ, the (coughs) Redeemer. Another common one is that people are being helped by women preachers and the related, well, God called me. Uh, Both of these deal with how one feels inside I feel like I've been helped. I feel like I've been called. Um, I'm certainly sure people do feel that way. I don't deny that. Um, And feelings are not bad in and of themselves. Uh, But if our feelings are are not in conformity with God's word, we might need to rethink some things. For example, a man may feel called to the ministry, but he has three wives. Well, his feelings don't give him a license to break God's law that says a minister must be the husband of one wife. And it's the same with the woman preacher. Listen to one sermon this week where a lady uh, defended, her teaching, um, defended her teaching men as a, as a pastor by saying that Timothy spent a lot of time with Paul. Um, so Timothy really knew what Paul was trying to say, which was that women just need to be educated a little bit. It's just a temporary restriction um, until the women could be educated to the level to be a pastor. Of course, I'm not sure how she's privy to the mind of Timothy. Uh, but as we'll see, this is not a temporary restriction. Paul grounds this argument in creation. Uh, one more popular reason um, we hear that women should preach is that Deborah was a judge in the Old Testament. What about Deborah? Uh, A judge in Israel, something more akin to a military commander today. Uh, So a judge was not a church office. It was a civil function. Uh, So citing Deborah really has nothing to do with the pastorate, but even so, let's um, continue on. Uh, One reformer really hit the nail on the head when he said, extraordinary acts done by God Do not overturn the ordinary rules of government by which he intended that we should be bound. So you see, God is free to work however he chooses. Deborah did judge Israel, but that was an unusual event. Uh, It does not overturn the normal order of things. In fact, God does things like this to shame the men who refuse to worship the true God in the time of judges. Those men who refuse to gird up their loins and fight for Israel and deliver Israel. Perhaps we can say the same today concerning the many women preachers that we do see. If men had not become so feminized and given up their place and instead faithfully carried out their duties in the church, in the home, we might not see the vast amount of feminism in the church that we see. And yet just because men have sinned is no reason to set aside the verse. In fact, this is all the more reason uh, to stand, um, to, to stand with the biblical standards, uh, both men and women. All right, so now we've examined that uh, women are to be quiet, and that means they are not to teach or preach or have spiritual authority uh, in the church. Why is that? Uh, why is that? What are the, the grounds for such a position? And Paul gives two grounds, verses 13 and 14. The first is that, Uh, that of the created order. Eve was 
created after Adam. Adam was formed first, then Eve, Paul says. And so we must remember the reason that Eve was formed. God said in Genesis 2, I will make him a helper fit for him. So woman is the complement to man and was created to be a helper to him, but not created to be his authority. Our culture longs to reverse that natural order and have uh, women rule, and they do so, um, as that was part of the curse on Eve and all women when man sinned. God cursed Eve, saying, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That means that she would have a sinful desire to rule over her husband. But it should not be so. Instead, he is to rule over her, and that natural order continues into the church. Now, why is it, then, that men should rule? Is there something naturally superior in man? No way. Men are to rule because God willed it. It's not because men are more meritorious than women. Um, If anything, us men deserve to die for our sins. We are not better than women. But God has called men to rule such that there should be no pride found in a man uh, for this calling. Men Men are not raised to that high and lofty calling in order to lord it over women. In fact, men are called uh, to honor their mothers. We read that a little bit ago. Um, Men, uh, husbands are called to love their wives to the point of death, just as Christ loved the church. So we see the created order. Adam being formed first is part of God's willing for men to rule and women to be helpers. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11, 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Second ground is that woman, the woman, Eve, was deceived, whereas Adam sinned willfully in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. We find here failings on both uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, the serpent slithered right past Adam, went to talk to Eve. Uh, we find Eve taking over the role um, of the man. And, uh, and the serpent begins to lie and trick her by promising her she'd be like God and that she could function independently of the one true God. Uh, and Eve believes the deception. Uh, why does she believe it? Was there some sort of uh, mental deficiency? Well, no, of course not. This was a moral failing on Eve's part as she took over the role that Adam was avoiding, what was really his. So plenty of sin to go around in the story of the fall uh, from Genesis 3. Adam was not ruling the creation as he should have done, and Eve was not being a helper as she was created to do. Uh, And this reason Paul gives us, um, reminding us of the created order that men are to rule and the women are the helper and that Eve was deceived. Uh, Historically, there's been some very interesting takes on this verse, some very speculative takes. Uh, somewhere we want to avoid and not go down that road, but simply affirm the reasons that Paul gives, the created order, and that Eve was deceived. Now, much of what I've said thus far, uh, it's easy to understand, maybe difficult to accept. Uh, I pray we would all search the scriptures and trust uh, that our God does what is right. The last verse, however, uh, it's a little more difficult to understand. Uh, It reads... Yet she will be saved through the childbearing 
if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So is Paul teaching that women are actually saved by having children, by the work of giving birth? course not we're saved by grace through faith I've seen well meaning christians uh, my own brothers and sisters in christ uh, in an honorable effort to defend women who are unable to have children uh, say that can't mean what it, we think it means it means birthing hope women are saved by birthing hope that's well meaning um, and the thought though runs into the same problem of being saved by childbirth Uh, which is that the scriptures tell us that we're not saved by our works. Uh, Scriptures are clear. We contribute nothing to our salvation, whether that's children or birthing hope. Uh, We contribute nothing. All people, men and women, are saved by grace through faith. The only works involved in salvation are the works of Christ. So what does Paul mean here? Um, He is saying... That although Eve was deceived and became a sinner, she will still be saved, as well as all women who continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So the verses leading up to this point might seem like a bit of a downer. Um, Women are not to lead, and the reason given is that Eve was deceived and became a transgressor. Will there ever be hope for Eve? And absolutely there's hope, and that hope comes through the childbearing. I keep saying that because the, the original Greek has a definite article before they're saved through the childbearing. And I keep saying because it is important to note, it's not just any old childbearing. It is the childbearing, the childbearing mentioned in Genesis 3 that Paul's been talking about uh, this whole time. right? Just after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and fell into sin. Uh, This could have been the end of humanity. We could have just dwelt in sin forever, and God could have sent us all to hell, and he would have been just in doing so. But instead, he gives mankind hope in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity, uh, cursing the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The first giving of the gospel. That the offspring of the woman, who is Jesus Christ, will crush the ancient serpent, who is Satan. And how does that crushing come about? It comes about through childbearing. Eve would have two sons, Cain and Abel. Of course, Cain murders Abel. Cain is the evil man. So we read of one more son born to Eve, and that's Seth. And it's important because Seth as a righteous man. And it's through the childbearing of that Sethite line that Jesus Christ would be born. That the Virgin Mary would give birth to Jesus Christ, the childbearing, the one who would save Eve, the one who would save women. So even though Eve was deceived and became a transgressor, there is hope through the childbearing by which the Savior of women comes about. Of course, Jesus isn't the savior of each and every individual woman that's ever lived. He's the savior of those, it tells us, who continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. In fact, this is true for all of mankind, men and women. We are 
saved in order to do good works that are prepared beforehand for us. In our area of the world, um, we can be tempted to buy into the culture's view of this uh, once saved, always saved. You know, the idea that, well, if I've been baptized, if I've walked the aisle, if I've signed the card, uh, done something, prayed the prayer, uh, then I'm good to go. Uh, there's no further work to be done. I've done it all. Um, but of course we want to avoid that. And uh, verses like this show us that is not true, that there, um, we must continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So while we're saved by faith alone, that faith is never alone. Good works accompany salvation. That's how we know other Christians. We know them by their fruit. So friend, if you're here tonight thinking that, well, I've done my good work, the Lord should let me into heaven because I believe in thee childbearing. But if you don't have faith and love and holiness and self-control, I would urge you this evening to work towards those attributes, to read God's word, to pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you to do these very good works uh, that we're talking about. You see, we're not made right. We're not justified before God and then just left to our own devices. Rather, we are justified in Christ and then we are being sanctified in Christ. In other words, God declares us holy in his sight and then God gives us good works to do so that we are made more and more holy. That's what Paul's getting at at the conclusion of this chapter. We are saved by the childbearing. And through that childbearing, we are given good works to do. So he would say, instead of once saved, always saved, Paul teaches us once saved, always being sanctified. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we are forever grateful for the childbearing and ask that you would grow our faith in Christ who was born, lived, died, and was resurrected for us. Give us to understand our roles and functions as men and women. May women be submissive and may men be loving. Give ear to our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.